I give a shout out to my wife for coming up with a very creative title for my lesson, Warm Hands and Cold Shoulders. Um, so, if I get this thing to move, oh, there we go. Um, the question is, talking about touch, uh, I think it's interesting, whenever you watch a movie or a TV show, uh, it's amazing how easy it is to figure out when two characters are going to be uh, romantically inclined. There's... I mean, there's always a setup, you know, there's a little talking, a little going back and forth, some banter, whatever else. And at some point in the film, sometimes it's the first thing, sometimes it's the end, there's touch. They both reach for the same pair of gloves. They both slip and fall on the ice together. Something happens and their physical bodies collide in some fashion. Because the reality is touch is important. I mean, the thing is, the world knows this really well. I think as believers, we oftentimes forget this, or we pretend to be naive and we ignore it. But the reality is that when you, when you touch someone, it's significant. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It'd be a very good thing. I have to say, you know, uh, touch is very powerful. I mean, they, they, they've done, there's anecdotes of, you know, people who are ill, and they get hugs, and that brings them back to health, you know, that kind of concept. So touch is a very powerful tool. It's, not, it's both good and bad. Um, but the bad side raises a lot of questions. And those questions are things like, what touch? What touch is bad? What touch is okay? What's too far? That's always one of the, you know, the best ones, especially for like, couples who just started a dating relationship. You know, what's too far? Like, okay, so we, we can go this much, but not, but not that much. Is, is like around the shoulder okay? Maybe, maybe like on the back? You know, Hands, uh, yeah. So those are questions we ask. Who's off limits? Who am I allowed to touch? Who can I not touch? If she's married, can I give her a hug? If she, if I'm married, can I give her a hug? If we're both single, does it matter? If she's over sixty-five, does it matter? You know, <laughs> the problem is that we're not asking the right questions. These are all the questions we tend to ask. We really should be asking: Is what does the Bible say about touch? And also, what do traditional Zadikim, what do righteous people, do about touch? Yes, sir. Um, you had a subheading on your, on your cover slide. You want to explain the Hebrew of that? Oh, yeah. Um, Shomer Nagia is a topic we're looking at. And actually, I'm going to go on to that, I think, on the next slide. So speaking of um, Zadikim, righteous people, we're going to look a little bit at what Orthodox Judaism does first. Just to get a background, I don't adhere to everything that they say or do, um, but I like to I like to use them as kind of a bit of a um, a plumb line, just kind of a place to start. Say if if at the very least, you know, uh, I want to be as conservative as possible. I want to be as careful as possible. I'll look at them. Maybe they go too far, but I know if I do it that way, I definitely can't be wrong. Done the liberal end. So I'm just going to take a look at what they have to do, just to get some ideas and something else. Um, and they have a concept called Shomer Nagia. What it literally means is to protect Nagia, the concept of touching. Um, I translated it as guarding touch. Is Just like dance? Shomer Nagia. No, no, no. <laughs> Hava Nagila is something completely different. Uh, yeah, you're kicking your leg up. <laughs> uh, uh, Let's it's a, do it now. <laughs> it's definitely not a dance where you hold hands. Um, Shomer Nagia is, uh, I translated it as guarding touch, which is kind of a cool concept. Because again, it brings back that idea that touch is very powerful. It's a very important uh, part of our lives. Um, in Judaism, what that normally means is a separation between the sexes on touch. Um, there are obvious exceptions. Husband and wife can touch, no problem. Um, 
which parents can touch. Uh, the main thing is that Judaism's basis for it, biblical basis for the reason for this, is linked to the concept of nida or um, female uh, cycle, the female cycle every every month. One, we, you know, that little stretch there where the woman is not in her best state. Uh, is of course a time when you're not allowed to touch in Orthodox Judaism, and the reason, that, and part of the reason they're doing that is they're basing it off of the passages in Leviticus, which talked about drawing near to a woman who's in that state. And for one thing, um, sexual relations between husband and wife are forbidden when she's bleeding. But then on top of that, Judaism tries to put fences around that, so it's like, well, if we if we don't even touch, we're not going anywhere. So that's where it starts. The difference, though, beyond husband and wife is the fact that technically every, in Judaism, um, the first time you take a mikvah is when you get married. So every, or right before you get married. So every woman who's not married yet is technically in a constant state of nida until she has that immersion, that, that uh, ritual bath to cleanse that status. So because of that, um, that it's somewhat irrelevant today without a temple as far as a practical reason goes. But if you were to shake a hand with a woman who was in that status with a temple, you'd have to go and wait 24 hours or whatever else till sundown before you could go into the temple. Yes? Um, although it's, it, it does still apply with respect to, obviously, sexual contact. I mean, obviously, there's already other commandments that forbid fornication. Right. But one of the consequences of... of of having relations with an unmarried woman is you are drawing near to her in a state of nidah. Right. Which right. Now, now you're violating other biblical commandments. Yeah. You got two for one there. Exactly. So. Yeah. I just want to make sure we're clear that we don't confuse the fact that because we don't have a temple, it's not that it doesn't matter. Right. The facts are all still the same. True. You are still nida, and the and, and, yeah, and the woman is still nida. So we still we do have mikvot. So right, no, the status is still exactly the same whether the temple is standing or not. Sure. You, you're just not going to be going into the temple because we don't have a temple to go into. Right. Uh, I've been reading sages, uh, the Yehudah volume said. Middle line is really remarkable because this first and second generation were so uh, after the temple was destroyed, we're keeping we're keeping the as they do today, and it's it's kind of remarkable because you would think that they would have gotten that picture of like oh the temple's not here anymore we don't need to worry about it they were they were absolutely I mean just like today they were absolutely consistent keeping. The laws of clean and unclean, even though, even though, you know, it could have been argued, but they never did. Right. They never argued. Well, we don't have a temple; it's not necessary. Right. So that's the kind of the basis behind the touching thing. Obviously, there's a more um, as, a, as an extrapolation from this is that is that orthodoxy is also being very very careful about um, any kind of sexual impurity, and that's beyond nida. It also deals with the fact that they work very hard not to. Um, do any activity that would stimulate sexual thoughts, for example, uh, those types of things. So an Orthodox man, uh, one of the things he's going to do is be very careful touching women. Um, and of course, it goes both ways. It doesn't mean that women are unclean or dirty. 
it means that women don't touch men either. It's like there's a, that's the whole concept. You're guarding touch. Touch is very important, and you only do it with the people that are like family, and that's basically it. Um, well, and of course, same gender. So those are the two categories, family or same gender. Um, some guidelines include the following. Uh, we've got, um, there are no actions that are done in a lustful or affectionate manner, which is kind of a broad way of, of kind of categorizing a whole bunch of touch. Um, uh, some examples from Maimonides include hugging, kissing, or enjoying close physical contact. Um, Mishnah Torah, uh, another fa factor when it comes to uh, Shomer Nagia are the handful of people in Leviticus that you're not allowed to have relations with, you know, like your sister or like your aunt and so on and so forth. So there's certain, like, those types of people. Um, I got a little bit confused on, on how far, or how close, rather, those relations are where um, embracing or kissing is okay. I think it may just be parents, though, actually. I don't know. After, after puberty, I don't even think siblings, depending on how orthodox you are, are allowed technically to do that in a traditional set framework. Again, the, the idea, and this is Chabad.org, implied is that we are forbidden to draw close to acts that lead to revealing nakedness. In other words, don't do things that start churning up the hormones and the emotions and all that stuff because it goes bad places. So that's the basic concept behind orthodoxy. Like I said, this is going to be like our, we have a, like a, a standard here from liberal to conservative. Orthodoxy is right over here. So that kind of gives us like a, uh, a boundary line on kind of one way to look at it. Um, parents and children are explicitly okay. Uh, and I believe grandparents are as well. Um, the cutoff line for kids, by the way, is 11 years of age. So right about when they're hitting puberty is when the touch rules come into play. So, um, you know, I'll look forward to those hugs from your daughter up until she's 11. It'll be great. Uh, my niece. Yeah. So, um, the biggest question mark that probably comes up for most people is handshakes. And it's interesting because in uh, Orthodox Judaism, actually, it's not settled. It really depends on which rabbi you talk to. Um, or shake hands with. Or shake hands with. <laughs> or don't shake hands with. So uh, depending on which flavor of Orthodoxy you're coming from, shaking hands with a woman can be permissible. Some say it's always okay. And the rationale that they are giving is because it's very temporary um, and it's not really lustful. I shake your hand, it takes all of a couple seconds, we're done. Um, in addition, I do not recommend doing this because I really hate a dead fish handshake. But Judaism kind of encourages people to not take the initiative in grabbing on a handshake. So if you just kind of stick your hand in someone else's hand, there's not a whole lot of stuff going on there. It's done pretty quick. The reason, part of why they encourage handshaking is because uh, it's very impractical in Western society not to shake someone's hand. For example, if you had a business deal, one, one example given was if you had a business deal coming up and you meet the person you're going to sell something to for the first time, if you just kind of stand there kind of coldly and they kind of, okay, it's going to potentially like kill the deal. So it's like, well, this isn't that serious, so go ahead and give them a handshake. Um, another reason that some say is if it's not going to embarrass people. You don't want to embarrass people. Protecting people's self-dignity is extremely high in Judaism. And so one of the things they don't want to do is they don't want the people to do this. You know, stick your hand out and no one, no one no, no, I can't touch you. So what they'll say, well, one example I've heard is um, encouragement was go ahead and shake the person's hand and then just kind of kindly explain, you know, I don't normally do that. 
I'm, you know, I, I try not to, to touch women, but you know, I just didn't want to make it too awkward here, but just to let you know. So that way, next time you meet the same person, they won't shake your hand. No, well, yeah, I wouldn't do that. But the, the, this is actually very important because I have heard stories where Orthodox come off looking very calloused yes. because they won't ex ex reach out for a handshake. So there are some in the Orthodox community who say, this is not that serious, it's okay. Did you have a comment? talk more about that as we kind of continue. Um, there are some of the Orthodox Judaism, by the way, who will never shake a hand of a woman. That's just, I'm just giving you all the flavors. Um, I tend to lean with the more lenient side. When I went to Israel in uh, 2010, um, there was a young Orthodox man, and uh, he, was, he was probably two years younger than me at the time, but he was sitting in his seat on the plane between two women on the tour and he was just so he was you know scrunched together like this so that he wouldn't even touch them very antagonistic about it oh. and he got so you know so much so to the point that he stood up before we took mm -hmm. off and and you know the the plane wasn't going to take off without everybody sitting down but <laughs> his but his rabbi got up and just like Sit down, you know. <laughs> just sold him, and so uh, a couple. The, the woman sitting next to me, she knew one of or both of the ladies <coughs> there already. She said she had, you know, began initiated a conversation with them, even though they were a few feet away um, on the row in front of us. And she said, if he would like to switch places with. Her. Well, that so was that very she, nice. So that he could come sit next to me. That was very nice. And so, I mean, and he was, and he was still cold sitting next to me. <laughs> but you could tell that he loosened up a little bit, if such a thing is possible, considering how just bothered by this. He yeah, was. and not all Orthodox are that way. I want to clarify. There exactly. is actually one other story. Yeah. Uh, one one rabbi I read um, addressed the issue of public transportation. Because um, it's a problem if you're trying not to touch people and you're in the subway. And basically, his argument was it's, it's accidental, it's very short-lived, not a big deal. I don't know how comfortable he would be sitting, like, leaned up against somebody. But if you happen to get kind of jostled and bump someone, that's fine. Some in orthodoxy are much more strict and try to have separate buses in Israel. But others are not really, they see it as something that's just part of life. And again, it's temporary. And that's the most important factor on that type of touch. It yes, is, sir? It is actually common enough a problem that every airline has the issue. And flight attendants actually say the biggest problem with flying to Tel Aviv is arranging seats. Huh. Every flight attendant. So, I mean, it's not, it, like I say, it's not something that's, that's everybody, but it is 
always a large number of people that are concerned about whether they're seated with relationship to oxygen. Right. Are we saying that's a bad thing? No, not necessarily. Actually, what I would argue if I had been that, that poor fellow stuck on a 13-hour flight between two women I didn't know, um, I would have probably also done my best not to touch them. I probably would have just been a little less obvious about it. You know, if, if, the, if the plane takes off and I happen to kind of roll a little bit and bump shoulders, it's not the end of the world. Um, so that's probably how my approach would have been. Um, you know, I, I, there's ways to um, seat carefully. And, and you might even be able to, uh, again, you can ask for a change of seats. That does happen from time to time. See if someone can swap out with you or something. Maybe there's a lady sitting between two men. You can just say, hey, could we? You know, but for me personally, I might, um, if I got stuck in a situation like that, I'd probably just try to be as, you know, in my seat as I could be. I, I think it also depends on, I mean, you're right, some of the halakha isn't totally settled yet. No. Right? Some of it is. So to the extent there is halakha in Shulkan Rota that prohibits certain types of touching, um, if you put yourself in the shoes of, the, of an orthodox person, if that happens, that's in essence a sin. Right. Yeah, right. So the stakes are a little higher to the extent that you are uh, view that as right. a violation of right. um, of Torah law. Absolutely. As it's been, you know, as it's come down. And and I'm going to touch this a little bit later, but I think to touch on this. Um, uh, the, uh, it is important, I think, to remember, like when we talk about um, people who have high standards, First uh, Corinthians, Paul makes it very clear that when someone has a high standard, you work to meet them. You don't make them meet your lower standard. You help them meet their standard as much as possible. So like the example that you gave, Johnny, of the woman who offered to switch seats, that was excellent. That is what a follower of Yeshua would do. Um, we got a line here, okay, because some of these things, like this age of 11 years old, where does this stuff come from? In other words, this is from Orthodox Judaism, okay, they're, to my, in my opinion, they're very extreme. Right, cause, can be. Take the Holocaust for one thing. Yeah, men and women and children together, they were going to be gassed, okay? Now, that was a not a convenient situation to be in, but there was no shoving away, get away, because I can't touch you. In other words, what I'm seeing here is the far right, the far extreme, okay, as far as these fences that the Orthodox are building around the commandments. Where does it say that in the Torah? These are coming from some place. Well, the, as far as the age goes, that's touching particularly on puberty, um, which is just uh, as far as like a sexual awareness kind of concept. As far as the scripture, I think that's where I'm going next. So let's take a look at the Bible. Um, the word in Hebrew for touch is naga, shomer, nagia. If you could probably hear the root there. Um, and it's really interesting. It can be translated as touch came, like an event has come near, like it's so close you could touch it. Uh, reach, strike, smite, etc. It's translated a lot of ways. I looked at all of them. There's a lot. Um, the funny thing is, it's interesting that in, in, the, in the Torah, in the Tanakh, it's very rarely used in a male-female context, this word for touch. Um, in fact, there are four main references that I pulled out. Um, Leviticus 15, of course, has a whole bunch, but we're going to go and read uh, each of them. Uh, and I think they're really insightful as far as like, realizing kind of how serious touch is in the Bible. 
Um, again, as Roger pointed out, it's not an explicit commandment, don't touch people of the opposite sex. But I think that it's an encouraged thing in, to a certain degree, and we'll kind of explore that. So, um, Genesis 26, okay. go for it. And God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. And the background of that passage is um, Abimelech, Abimelech um, is having bad things happen to himself and his family. None of them can apparently uh, use the bathroom or anything like that, some sort of curse on them from God. And um, God comes to him in a dream and says, look, you've got Sarah, you've got Abraham's wife, and uh, that's not cool with me. I'm totally paraphrasing, forgive me. Um, and Abimelech goes, whoa, 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 whoa I, didn't, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. And so God's response is that verse where he says, yeah, I kept you from touching her. Which is really interesting because you'd almost think, maybe God's just trying to set an extreme, I didn't even let you touch her. But it's interesting that, again, this, this word touch in a male-female context is, in the, is also in the context of a sexual relationship. I didn't even let you touch her, but it's still in that same like discussion, which is, I think is interesting. Um, Leviticus 15, 19. Who's yeah. got that? Go ahead. When a woman has a discharge, and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days. Whoever touches her shall be unclean until the, sea, until the evening. Right, so that goes back to Nidah, um, the women's cycle. So you, if, if anybody, man or woman, happens to touch her, they are unclean for the next cycle. Which again, it's not necessarily um, a sexual concept or anything like that, but it does reinforce the idea that touch is very powerful. By the way, it's not just women in that, in that category. If a man is having a similar issue, you know, Azav, he's got, uh, you touch him, same deal. If he spits on you, it's the same deal. But the point is, the touch is a very powerful thing and that verse reinforces that. Yes, sir? I think it's important to recognize, uh, especially as we're looking at the Fences the Orthodox have built. Unless you happen to be in the same family house with this woman, you would not know most of the time. True. Right. So, I mean, if if we really want to be serious about keeping the commandments, we should not touch a woman in need of. Well, and it's not a violation if you do. It's not a sin. That's not a sin. I didn't say it was. I, uh, what I'm saying is, if you don't want to be unclean, true. If you want to be in a ritual state of purity, which technically none of us are right now because of the whole death thing, right? Which is also irrelevant to my point. Okay. You cannot know. True. And therefore, if you want to live to the highest standard and stay as ritually pure as possible, then you would not touch anyone. Because she could be Nida, and you would not know. Except family. Correct. And, that's the and you would know them. No. Exactly, because you would know. And my point here is, even in a vulgar culture like the one in which we live, people do not, women do not go around saying, ha, I'm in menstrual impurity right now, how are you? <laughs> you don't say that. Very true. Even they don't say that. So, I, I can understand the orthodox being careful and I can understand the being careful and the fence because a young woman 11 or younger who's not bat mitzvah who's not been through puberty cannot be in this position that's true Let, lest anyone 
confuse what we're talking about. If you have a cold and your nose is running, you should not put on film. So it's not just it's not just that women are in this state. It's like you said, it's, it's inside fluid anything. coming out. Yeah, that's right. Well, and anything. technically, with the with the nida status, again, like noted, that's male or female touching them, so it's yeah. an issue. Um, uh, but as far as a male-female touch, Ruth 2.9, go for it, sir. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. This is Boaz talking to Ruth. Um, she's been working in his field, and he has encouraged her to go out. What was really interesting is he specifically tells her that he's told the young men not to touch her. Now, obviously, the implication is probably more serious than a handshake or a hug, but the point is, it's still interesting, it's the same word. It's, it, it's, like I said, it's, it's translated as a lot of different things, but that is the same word used just for touching, which I think is interesting. It's Hebrew, so it means touch. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's so, not something you can do by looking at someone. Right. Um, Proverbs six twenty-eight through 29, go for it. Too slow, can a man? <laughs> can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Now, this verse is talking about um, uh, adultery, uh, and it says. Um, basically, it's, it pronounces, it says, it's, you're really stupid if you commit adultery with your neighbor's wife. And then, interestingly enough, it says, whoever touches her will not go unpunished. That's really quite intriguing that, um, again, we see sex and touch in the same verse. Not saying that all touch leads to sex, or that all touch is as serious as sex, certainly not. But again, the Bible, not, not me, not orthodoxy, the Bible is putting them in almost in the same broader category. I, I think to your point, it's important to note this verse does not say that uh, none who lies with her right. will go unpunished. It's a different word. It's just touch. It doesn't say lying with her, kissing her, any of that. It's even, it's, it seems to me to be a much lesser threshold right. of, oh my goodness, what have I done? In fact, just to make sure we cover all of the bases, how about we look at another type of touch? Hugging. Um, this is a really popular thing, especially in the South. Everyone hugs everybody, except, except my dad. He doesn't hug anybody. Um, I, hug my, I hug my family. He hugs his family. A lot. A lot. <laughs> Makes it up. I just want everybody to know he's hugged me at least twice. I have. Well, and actually, it's interesting God. you mentioned that. Right. Because God. in the Bible, hugs are allowed. Oh, well, hugs are allowed between the same gender. And so what you see, actually, is this, is this is surprisingly common. In the Bible, a great way to meet someone, especially somebody you haven't seen in a long time, you know, long lost brother. So, my brother. Um, so we got uh, uh, Genesis 29, 13. I won't make you read it right now. Um, it's Esau going up and giving a hug to Jacob. He says a bad guy. There are good guy examples too, but the point is, um, it's <laughs> you see this a lot. Uh, some other examples we've got uh, parents. By the way, and I want to make this clear. I've, I've talked a lot about gender separation here. Parents and children are not included. 
not in orthodoxy, not in the Bible, not ever. So, um, uh, who has Second Kings four sixteen? Surely Judas got it. That's the only one he doesn't have. And he said, "This season, about this time next year, he shall embrace his son, and he shall." And, he, and she said, "No, my lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant." This is Elisha talking with a woman who's gonna, who doesn't have any children yet. And she, she says, next year you will embrace a son. Because this is a prophet, man of God, encouraging a woman to basically give her kid a hug. Now, that's again, the, tra- the word embrace a son has some idiom element to it too, I'm sure, as well. But the point is, it's the same word. It's the word for hug. Uh, spouse. Song of Songs 2.6. Song of Solomon, if you have a more traditional Christian Bible. Go, Judah. Cool. Okay. <laughs> his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces. So this is a um, lover embrace. Um, I'm going to go on the safe side and assume that Song of Songs is talking husband and wife because otherwise it's a little bit scary. Um, but the point is, in that case, you got an embrace. Embrace is totally fine. Um, Ecclesiastes 3.5 uh if someone wants to grab that one. Grab it. <laughs> a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Sometimes it's not good to give a hug. Um, you know what's really funny about it? Yeah, it from the nose. <laughs> yeah, not a good hug time. Not a good hug time. Again, Proverbs brings this word in the context of sexual immorality. If someone can read Proverbs 5.20. Go for it. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman who embraces the bosom of an adulteress and and embraces the bosom of an adulteress? So we've got this context. He's he's warning the guy, uh, his son, about the adulteress. And he explicitly lists being intoxicated with her love and then embracing her. So it's very interesting. So far, Proverbs has used the word for touch and the word for embrace in the context of adultery. It doesn't say, you know, any of the much stronger sexual words, or it doesn't reference any kind of touch of any sort of sensitive body part, which, by the way, the Bible's not opposed to using some of those types of language. It does show up places. But here, it's the concept of an embrace. So... I don't know if you're going to get to this, but in the Genesis 29 passage, um, Jacob kisses Rachel. Oh, actually, we are going to get to that. Okay. Hold that thought. (laughs) Now, I'm I'm sure some of you who have done, uh, (laughs) we're going to use as many touch puns as possible tonight, so feel free to throw them in. Um, I'm sure most of you might now, if if you've been thinking about touch, you're probably going, what about the holy kiss? Paul encourages you to greet one another with a holy kiss. So what is that talking about? So I'm going to look at the Tanakh first, and then I'll have some commentary on the holy kiss. Um, in the Tanakh, the word for kiss, the Hebrew word, which is, it slips my mind at the moment, um, but it's, only, it's very rarely used for the opposite gender. Uh, Genesis 29.11, which you can read now. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. This is an interesting context because Jacob and Rachel are technically kind of cousins. Um, and they, he gives her a kiss when he sees her. He's been hiking for ages. He's finally arrived and met his family. He's overwhelmed. He gives her a kiss. 
Now, I'm not saying that's okay, but what's interesting is, what happens? Immediately after this, Jacob is totally head over heels. Like, very, very shortly after, Laban's like, about a month later, basically, Laban's like, so what can I do? I'll work seven years for that girl. Now, what's interesting about that is that you could argue that the kissing of somebody was okay, but my point is, look where it goes. This is not bad that he's marrying her. That's a good thing. But you should only have one of those. So, I, so again, I think it emphasizes... Yeah. <laughs> Be careful who you kiss. <laughs> Hug is chavak. Chavak. Kiss is nashak. Thank you. Um... Now, we see lots of same-gender kissing, which is interesting. Um, in our current Western culture, that sounds really creepy and weird. But um, in the Middle East or in Europe and other types of places, kiss is a very normal form of uh, welcome, a greeting. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law, there's lot, uh, they both exchange goodbye kisses. Uh, Jacob and his grandsons, when Joseph brings his sons up, he gives them a hug, he gives them a kiss. So there's nothing wrong with you know, giving a guy a big bear hug when you see them, um, etc. Or, you know, kissing your son goodnight. No problem there. Uh, again, parents comes into play. First uh, Kings 19.20. Go for it, Taylor. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. This is... Uh, Elisha, or Elisha in Hebrew. Um, he's going after Elijah, or Eliyahu in Hebrew. Um, Elijah's called him out. Come follow me, be my disciple. I'm going to make you a new prophet. He goes, okay, cool. I'll do that. But let me go first, kiss my parents goodbye. So that, again, seems to be fine. Elijah doesn't critique him or stop him. Um, so reinforcing, again, parents, grandparents, there doesn't seem to be really any issues there. Um, Song of Songs 8.1 is a bit confusing just because of the context song of songs uses sibling names as terms of endearment a lot brother sister etc so it's a bit confusing sometimes exactly if they're playing off of a concept that's related to siblings or if they're just using as a term of endearment so song of songs 8 1 whoever has it go for it sir oh that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breasts if i found you outside i would kiss you and none would despise me What's interesting about that is um, this outdoor kiss uh, would be totally fine, apparently, because they're really, really into each other, really in love couple. But what's fascinating is that she notes that none would despise her, as though, like, in some contexts, maybe the outdoors kiss would be inappropriate. Um, but again, that reinforces the idea that you want to give your wife a good kiss when you get home? Please do. You are strongly encouraged to delight in your wife. So, nothing wrong at all there. Um, the only mention of kissing in the entire Tanakh between a man and a woman who are completely unrelated is Proverbs 7.13. Now, if you have ever read the book of Proverbs, you will recognize this chapter just from the number. Proverbs 7 Don't is about the adulterous woman. Go for it, Johnny. Just the one verse? Just the one verse. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face, she said... You can go ahead and read the next one. <laughs> That's right, so I asked. I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows. She's basically 
for, if you read the rest of the passage, she is setting up her appeal, her seduction of this young man to come have a tryst with her all night long. 7.13 is a start. Big kiss right there in public. We've seen that week before. Um, and it's the only one. I think that's amazing. The entire Tanakh, we have an enormous number of male-female greetings, meetings, discussions, talks, and the only mention of a kiss between a man and a woman who are not related is that one. Now, um, holy kiss. I'm going to just quickly comment on the, biblical, the apostolic scriptures to talk about that. It does, it's mentioned four times. Uh, Paul mentions it three times. Peter mentions it once. Uh, I think it's really interesting on a couple of levels. First, Peter's reference says, encourages the brethren to greet one another with a holy kiss. So it may be same gender only. The three Paul references... Um, it, again, it's ambiguous. It doesn't explicitly say, go kiss the girl next to you. Um, also, I, sh- I don't know what the tradition was in that time period, but in some cultures, a kiss is not necessarily touch. You can do a little, you know, d- diving and juking thing, kind of just missing each other's cheeks type deal. So the point is, I don't think when Paul explicitly uses the phrase, holy kiss, I really can't imagine him seeing a whole bunch of men and women who are not related, who are you know married to other people even, were strolling up and smooching each other. That just doesn't fit with the culture that I feel like he's a part of. Otherwise, greeting one another with a kiss would have made sense. Holy kiss, I just don't see that being very holy. I mean, you know. Now, I'll talk about some examples. And I want to use, I'm, gonna, I'm going to tread on some thin ice here and pull up the one example I'm sure a lot of people who are upset with me right now are thinking about, and that one is Yeshua. Everyone's going, Yeshua's a touchy guy. He loves to touch people. He touches a whole bunch of women, right? Uh, not really, actually. Um, if you really read Yeshua's uh, life, read the Gospels, you will find that he never initiates any touch except on a couple of occasions, a dead girl, and Which is always okay, I guess. <laughs> or never okay, depending on how you know, your standards. Um, a dead girl and Peter's mother-in-law. I mean, that's it, folks. That's and, the only people and he's... she was very ill. And she's ill. Both times, it's for healing. Uh, it's not for comfort. It's not for support. I reread John 11, uh, at least the passages where the greetings come place. Lazarus has died. Mary and Martha are shaken to the core Yeshua shows up. They're like siblings. They're really, really close. Lazarus is one of his best friends. This is the only time in the entire Bible, or where Yeshua, uh, oh, the entire apostolic writings, where Yeshua cries, like literally weeps. It says, Yeshua wept. He is emotionally involved in this experience. And there's no mention of him giving a really big hug to Mary or Martha. It's just not there. Um, also, you're going to probably raise your hand and say, wait, wait, wait. I can think of at least two women, or at least one who has the same name, is mentioned in weird places, that like cries all over his feet and wipes his feet with her hair. That has got to be touch. Probably is. I want to say two things about, or a couple things about that. First, let me just clarify. Yeshua didn't initiate that. He didn't ask for it. He didn't invite it. When we talk about not embarrassing people, not making people feel bad, that was probably some motivation there. This, these, this woman, or women, depending on how you trans- interpret those passages, um, are pouring their hearts out into Shuva. And 
his whole point, really, to the people around him was not to despise her for uplifting him and for doing teshuva. So for him to kick her away would have really killed his entire message. Um, so also, I want to also point out, and this may be your thought here, Yeshua is like literally superhuman. If there's anybody who could get away with, you know, doing something that's not wrong but could cause problems, it'd be him. He's going to be very, he's going to be careful, he's going to hold up a strict standard, but his level of purity is phenomenal. He is tempted like as we were, yet without sin. I'm not that strong. I'm not that tough. And, one last point. I said a couple things. I lied. I'm sorry. I apologize. It's you know, coming kind of slow. Oh, one piece there. The last point is that Judaism actually addresses this issue, and the Mishnah Torah explicitly mentions wa- a woman washing one's feet as something you really shouldn't let happen. Oddly enough, it says only a, woman, a man's wife should wash his feet. So, I don't, I'm not, Yeshua did the right thing. I'm not saying anything wrong. Of course not. But I'm just saying is that you might want to use that example. I wouldn't use that example to say it's okay for you to do it. Yes, sir? I do think it's okay that if a woman is absolutely brokenhearted over sin and wants to cry and wash your feet with her tears, let her do it. I think that's always a good thing. Um, it's interesting, though, as, as you look at that particular uh, portion, to your point, the Pharisee who's watching this thinks to himself, if he knew what manner of woman was touching him, not who he was touching, right. but rather she had initiated, he had nothing to do with it, is what's implied by the Pharisee. Right. He wouldn't let it happen. So I think you've got two things out of Orthodox Judaism that come out. Number one, that they recognize that there was a difference here. Right. He was special. He was different. Right. Because eventually I mean, he realizes that he could see. But secondly, the guy would not have done it. The Pharisee would not have allowed it to happen. Because touch was already, by that time, 2,000 years ago, seen as very important. And I think that this is perhaps another good opportunity to bring up the issue of caveats, if you will. You mentioned woman totally shattered and broken there. Um, she initiates, he doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have, I've never been in that situation. Uh, I don't know exactly how my gut reaction would be, but you're probably right. If to, to pull away would be really devastating and I think unfair. So, Again, let me just reemphasize. Yeshua does not initiate. He's not asking for it. But he's really doing it for her. He's letting her express herself in that moment. Which, just to clarify, it wasn't a big chest-chest embrace. It wasn't a passionate kiss. Or hands washing and massaging you know, feet. It's his feet down here. She's crying. She's wiping up her tears. She gives his feet some kisses at some point. Yeshua, by the way, interesting, I'll come back to the kiss thing, actually critiques the Pharisee for not giving him a kiss when he came in. <laughs> I, think the, I think to me, the broader uh, principle that we see Yeshua upholding, in, the case, in these two instances, Peter's mother-in-law and the dead girl, we're really talking It's along the same lines of preserving life. Mm-hmm. Right? So, preserving life, look, if, you know, if your wife, you know, is standing next to me and starts to 
collapse right. because she's having some whatever, I'm going to grab her. I'm Absolutely, gonna, please do. Gonna, you know, I'm not going to let her hit the floor. And, well, you know, so, so that's what you have here is you have him upholding the principle that that everybody, and, Pharisees and everybody, would have had no problem. With. And Judaism, by the way, today I'll mention this later explicitly points out that if a woman is drowning, you do whatever you can to get to save her. You do not. It actually says, a man who does not save a woman from drowning because of Shomer Nagia is foolishly pious. I think that's the Mishnah Torah. So, um, in other words, Judaism recognizes there are some things that are way more important than this. And I, I think the issue with the washing of the feet falls into a similar higher concept, which is just uh, redemption, right? Somebody who is, who is broken and pouring themselves out in that manner in, in, in a in repentance and shuba, you know, to not, uh, to suddenly shun them or mm-hmm. rebuke them in that, at that point is to, is to really say, your redemption is not important to me. Right. Which is absolutely, you know, against everything that the, the Bible and all in Yeshua exemplified. Right. right. So I think there's these there's these higher uh, there's these weightier matters, right? To use mm-hmm. the ma- to use the master's language, there's weightier matters that will always allow for flexibility in the halacha. Um, right. We see Yeshua healing on the Sabbath, and he gets, you know, he gets taken to task by Pharisees and others for doing it because in that day there was a real halakhic debate going on about should we be healed, should you know, should we heal on the Sabbath or not? It was an unsettled halakhic issue, right? Yeshua was weighing in and say and saying, no, you should be healing on the, on the Shabbat. Because that is a weightier matter. Right. He gives the examples of the Levites who work in the temple, and 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 David who ate the showbread, right, to build that whole case. So, alleviating alleviating the suffering of humanity, preserving life, and um, and um, allowing the redemptive act of God to take place in somebody's life. Are always going to trump those types of halakhic matters. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to go back, to just for those of you who have been listening or, or maybe getting a little bit concerned about what direction I could be going here, um, Shomanagia, as stated before, is not an explicit command in Scripture. So I think that does leave a little bit of flexibility when things are more important. In fact, it leaves extra flexibility because you can break explicit commands to save a life. So in this case, how much more so could you, you know, do that for a necessity? Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Yes, sir. Not, not to, not to uh, draw away from everything you said, because it's exactly right. But on the other side, in that very passage we read in Proverbs, there is there, uh, the, 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 uh, the woman who is intent on drawing a righteous man into sin knows what a righteous standard is and will use it to her advantage. In that very verse we read, she says, I, I, paid, I fulfilled my vows. I've made my offerings. So the, the idea that, okay, well, you know, I got I to gotta help this woman out because of whatever, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, 
poor thing or whatever. We need to be always working in such a way as to both uh, provide for the fact that they may not be, they may be genuine, but on the other hand, that they may not be. And so that's why mm. um, having company, right. <laughs> Another man with you. Well, and again, Yeshua is not alone. Not alone. Not by any means. But this is the perfect example, and I can just tell you, this is this is so important that we understand that there's no excuse. You know, you know, if you can find somebody to be with you, you have no excuse to be alone. Right. If you have a cell phone, you never have an excuse to be alone. Well, and that's a good point. You know, if I if yeah some. You know, woman after work wants to sob to you about something in their life, and they're you know realizing that God wants to change them, or whatever else. You know, might be a great time to try at that FaceTime feature on your iPhone. Hey, you know what? My wife would probably have a lot of really good things to say here. I'm going to give her a call, and I'll be right here. I'll be right here. We'll, we'll kind of Lou. This is a kind of a conference deal. I know she's really good at this kind of thing. Um, it's just to Rick's point. The, the immoral woman, the adulterous woman, who says and is trying to lure the righteous man and starts saying, you know, I've, I paid my vows, you know, and all that. If you think about it, that's temple language. She's just made it clear to this study, she cannot be in Nida. Right. Because she right. could not. That was what she's saying. She's, she's right. totally clean and ready to go. I'm not in Nida. I did the whole temple thing today, so. Right. Right. Now, I want to just also clarify here, in case you're wondering what kind of research I did on this Yeshua concept. I looked up every single use of hands, foot, touch. It's just not there. Hug. You don't see Yeshua doing that. Not the woman at the well. Not the adulterous woman who, you know, they tried to stone her and all that stuff. It doesn't happen. Not with Mary and Martha. He's very careful about initiating it. Now, again, he doesn't embarrass people. And when he has to, he will... Extend a hand. I'm going to go to the next point real quick. Um, beyond physical he- uh, healing, uh, Peter actually helps Tabitha up after he raises her from the dead. That's kind of cool. Um, anyway, so he raises her from the dead, or God raises her from the dead through Peter. P- Peter helps her up, Acts 9.41. So um, there's nothing wrong. You know, again, like I said before with Mr. Upham, if, if my wife falls over and one of you men is within catching distance, please catch her. Okay? You know, and if your wife falls over, I will do the same. So if my wife dies, and you raise her from the dead, please help her. <laughs> <laughs> so the point is, there's nothing wrong with practical touch like that. And again, we're trying to avoid the type of touch that is affectionate, that is going to be drawing out those hormones, that's going to be extended, etc. Um, so moving on here. I'm going to take a look at some types of touch, just to kind of cover some broader categories. Um, one is pleasurable touch. And the classic example I can think of in the world today is dance. Now, I, I know I don't want to step on any toes um, about this dance issue because I know there's some people who are really into dance, and I want to make it clear I'm not really talking about Jewish dance here. I'm talking about, you know, we've got ballroom, ballroom dancing, you're holding the woman close to you. That's what they call it, cheek to cheek. Cheek to cheek. It's important to note, the world gets this. The world compares dancing to making love. They know what it is. It's not that hard to figure out. I looked up every single reference, in English at least, of the word dance in Scripture. Did you know that the, that the number of times where men and women are dancing in a good way 
you can count them on less than one hand. It's zero. The only time it's even questionable is David when he's dancing when they're bringing the ark into Jerusalem. But that, and of course his wife, critiques him for doing it in front of the women. But nowhere does it say that he's holding hands or he's in the Holy Conga line or anything like that. <laughs> David, in fact, the implication... He's barren from that day forward. Uh, yeah, yeah, his wife was lying, by the way. She was over he's exaggerating the situation. Um, David, in fact, if you read the passage, it looks almost more like he's dancing by himself. He's throwing himself all over the place. He's jumping and leaping and clapping and all that jazz. Um, the two references of group dancing, interestingly enough, the, the two references of group dancing in the Tanakh are actually women. Exclusively. It specifically mentions in the Red Sea passage, and again later when Saul comes back with David from killing Philistines, that the women went out to dance. So just a very interesting concept, because again, what we're looking at here is same gender. Nothing wrong with men dancing. In fact, I would even go so far as to say, based on Psalms, it's a command. So, you know, get out your dancing shoes. Let's go. But... Um, if we can avoid the male-female dancing, or at least women you're not related to, that'd be great, because I don't really see any examples in all of Scripture where male-female dancing is encouraged. And so I, I feel like that's an area where we can kind of draw a little line on that point. Um, dancing and fiddler on the roof. Right. The rabbi pulls out his hand. Yeah. So let's just avoid the touch there. Um, now, practical or helpful types of touch. We talked about helping someone up, a drowning woman, absolutely okay. In my personal opinion, and certainly with the drowning woman in, in Judaism, and based on scripture, again, helping someone up, whatever, that kind of deal, you know, so that's no problem. The old lady across the street. Right, okay, yeah, all these are fine. A woman is trips, please catch her. You would be, you would be a disservice to God to let her fall. Um, a professional touch. Judaism, by the way, is actually explicitly says it's okay for a male doctor to touch a female patient. And the reason they give is because what he's doing is in his job. He is so focused on his job that he's pro hopefully not thinking about anything besides his job, if you have a good doctor at least. So, um, you know, you talk about those types of issues. I think hypothetically, I haven't necessarily worked it out all the way in my mind. There could be some debate on this topic, but like therapeutic massage might fall into that category. Um, but definitely, you go to the doctor and the nurse wants to take your pulse, that's no big deal. No problem. That's even Orthodox Judaism, depending on who you talk to, is okay with that. Was that specific to doctor? It didn't mention doctor specifically. Okay, because I was just wondering in the broad scope of professional life and careers. Well, it, like I said before, the handshake deal okay. was uh, kosherized, again, depending on who you sp speak to. Um, and there may be, I, I don't know, I'm not really sure if there are other professions where it would be necessary off the top of my head, but that was just the one that they gave. Um, so you have professional touch. Comforting touch. Um, you got to be careful with this one. This is what we talked about earlier. You've got someone who's really shattered and they initiate. I wouldn't push them away because that sends a really bad signal. But there might be ways to kind of work your way out of it, you know? Give the hug, then kind of stand them back, look them in the face, kind of pull the hands away. And, you know, you know. Oh, sweetie. Julian, I need you over here, you know? That, that kind of deal, you know? Oh, you know what? My wife, she's so good with this type of thing. Let me, let me call her over. Um, that's an example. You don't want to be in a situation where you're giving a woman a long hug that you're not married to. That's just not healthy. Uh, greeting. This is the most common issue. If I can. Go ahead. You just said it's just not healthy. But it's not your physical health. Right. It's your marital health. Absolutely. That we're concerned about. It's just not healthy for your marriage. 
And that's one of the things, when I, when I spoke to some men before I got married about their advice, one of, the, one of the really cool things that really stuck out to me was from Mr. Martin. And he talked about the idea of emotional infidelity and how important it is not to develop those relationships. We had that discussion earlier in a class before on male-female friendships and how dangerous they can be. If you, you know, acquaintances are cool. You start getting to be close friends with a woman who's not your wife, and there's some issues there. It's very serious ones. So um, greeting uh, is another category that kind of falls into this whole touch issue, and that thing's most common for us. And um, like I said, I have no problem with a handshake. I'll reach out for a handshake. Hey, you know what? If you if if a woman I'm meeting just sort of stands there, I'm cool with that too. I mean, I don't have to shake her hand. Just do it at, to not to be rude. You know, I've given my sister-in-law high fives. That's a great you know fun little thing, especially if you're trying to. Avoid an awkward hug you may not want to give. Hey, high five, way to go. Good to see you. Um, you know, those types of things, no problem. But again, we're talking about temporary, fast, hands-only, basically, touch. Now, I do want to just say, because we're going to go back to what we talked about before as far as embarrassing people, my halakha, this is my current position that I am currently taking, um, open to challenge, if someone wants to take me on, but my thoughts are, um, it's not an explicit commandment, not explicitly in the Bible. Don't touch the opposite gender. But First Corinthians seven one. Can someone pull that one up? Got it. Yeah. Go ahead. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Ah, it's not the translation I want. You want the NASB? That's actually not the best translation. And I'll explain it in a second. Sorry. Does anyone have another one? It literally reads, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. That's not to touch. Reads. The word in Greek is hapto. Yeah. Go ahead and read that one. This is, this, this is the King James. Oh, good old King Jimmy. The real version. <laughs> now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And now, notice some important things about this verse. First off, the word touch. It immediately follows with sexual discussions between a husband and wife. So most people like that translation there. Oh, this is talking about sex. Uh, hello, people. That should be a duh. If Paul is having to tell people, don't have sex with someone who's not your wife, we've got some real issues. The Corinthians did have some real issues. They did, but hopefully not that one. That was, that's pretty extreme. He's already told them not to fornicate. That was in the letter from the, you know, the leaders in, in, the, in Acts. They already told them, this is off limits. You don't do this. But not touching. Now, that makes, fits the passage a whole lot better. And hapto, by the way, is used for just touching. The Greek word there, hapto, is just touch. It can be used for lots of different things. But, but it's where we get our word for touch. Haptic, haptic response right. is, you know, like... So, this is not the translation here. I mean, you know, Paul, if he wanted to be clear, would have been a lot helpful if he just used the word for sex. That would have made a whole lot more sense. Or used the word for groping or whatever it might be. But he uses the word for touch. And I think the importance is how he phrases the verse. This is really interesting. He says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Notice he doesn't say, I command you, don't touch women. He doesn't say, you better not touch a woman. Never touch a woman. It says, it's good for a man not to. And I think that goes back to what we've been saying. This is not an explicit commandment, and it's not something that's like that trumps every other virtue out there. Woman's falling over, go catch her. It's but you know if you're gonna if you're gonna go out and greet somebody, 
don't give them a full bear hug. That's really not the best idea. You know, interestingly enough, at Carmel Baptist Youth Group a number of years ago, they actually had a little covenant type deal for the youth. Explicitly in the covenant was that you would not give someone a full frontal hug. Okay, I don't think that Carmel was studying Orthodox Judaism Shomer Nagia there, and even the side hugs really don't fit that. But still, the point is, they got it. They knew. That's actually significant. You know, go talk to a teenager in the Christian world about prayer circles. There's a little joke going around about being next to the hot girl and having to hold hands. You know? It's a holy situation, but it's still an issue. Um, to your earlier point about the uh, 11-year-old age, the whole bat mitzvah, this, this verse, Paul specifically uses gunet. This is a woman, mm-hmm. not a girl. Right. Different word in Greek. It's also different in Hebrew. Same deal. And and, and that's where we have to define. We, we can't make up our own cultural explanations. Of, now, how likely we define who's a woman, who's a girl? And that's not, that's exactly what the rabbis did. Yes. If this is seriously a document for everyday practicality, it has to be defined. So we right. have to have it as time. Right. So, what it's, are we so it's eleven. So let's move on. And that's and I mean, obviously, you know, there's obviously variation there as far as girls hitting puberty, but basically that's, that's the safe age range exactly. for most people. Um, so my approach is, I have no problem with the handshake. I'll be happy to shake the hands of any one of your wives. I'll give your wife a high five because she's cooler with that, you know, whatever. Um, but I'm going to try and avoid the hugs. Um, there's this really cool drop shoulder technique. You can just kind of like, hey, nice to see you. Turn your body sideways, stands that hand way out, you know, and you just wipe out the hug. That being said, if somebody who's born and bred in the South and they just, they can't, they just totally forget and they go in for the hug, I'm, I'm not going to embarrass them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the hug and after it's over, I'll probably say something like, you know, I'm sorry if that was a little awkward. I don't, I don't really hug women, but just, you know, but, it, you know, but it's okay here. So I'm asking the women who would be listening to this podcast because I'm sure that there are some out there. I know there are some to help us out. You know, going back to Paul's whole deal, when you've got somebody who has a higher standard, even if you disagree with it, you think it's completely wrong, it is your scriptural mitzvah, your commandment, to help them out, to help them meet their standard. Um, You can debate it with me, but if you can remember, please don't give me a hug, because I'm trying not to. And that's not for, it's not just for me, because I have issues with my thought life, it's for you too. I want to protect that touch. I want to guard that touch. I want to make it precious and special. I don't just want to throw it away to anybody who happens to come by. I want to only give it to the people who are closest to me who have, by divine right, earned that by being related to me in blood or covenant. I was just going to say, uh, to the point of saying something after the awkward situation when somebody does give you a hug, there there should really never be a problem with that because I I think Mr. mentioned having a cold and not wearing to feel it's the same concept. In our culture, apparently it's totally fine not to hug or shake someone's hand if you have a cold. And so right. in the same way, it shouldn't be weird or awkward to just say, I'm sorry, but I don't do that, or that's uncomfortable well, because of whatever else. I mean, it's just because the reason is different doesn't mean that it should be different. Right, uh, exactly. And I think that's the thing is that we, we sometimes <laughs> forget that that's, okay, that that's an argument. Now, you're, you're probably going to get people who disagree with you, you're probably people who are going to challenge you pretty strongly back. But um, I think it's worth fighting for. And thank you for 
differentiating the fact that it's not that I have an issue, it's not that you have an issue, it's that society and the culture we've inherited and that we live in has an issue. And I think that's important for us is this is one of the steps of detoxing from, right. from just a fallen world that now this is okay, whereas you know, thousands of years ago in the culture of the Messiah, you would have been laughed off the face of the planet if you would have tried to you know, revolutionize. Now we can touch and hug anybody. I mean, it, to, to, to me, that's just part of where we are, and that's, that's the problem. And I remember one time I went... Um, Spinning around the first one. I mean, we're in a culture now where complete strangers engage in really tight dance. Forget that. They, they, and then they go home and have sex. I mean, so it's like touch in our culture is completely worthless. And I think that's sad. I think it's sad that touch is worthless because it's actually really powerful. I mean, you know, I, I, that's why I say I, I don't discourage touch as a concept. I mean, I'll give any one of these men in this room a hug. Nothing wrong with that at all. I give you a chest bump, high five, strong manly handshake. I might give you a kiss on the cheek, but that's a little creepy. But I could. The point is, the point is, <laughs> the point is that touch is not a bad thing, and it's not, and I'm not, and I'm not saying women are dirty. You know, if my wife wants to give any one of your wives a massive, big, female squealing hug, she doesn't do that. But even if she did, that'd be okay. That's actually great. Touch is good. I'll give my wife a big hug, you know, when I come home from work. But that's, and that's a good thing. I'll give my kids a big hug, you know. I'm going to, I'll give your daughter, since she's like a year and a half, my little niece, I'll give her a hug when I see her. Touch is not bad. The question is, what kind of touch and who you were talking with? Right. You know, it, it's you know, uh, I know, I know that I have made some people <laughs> feel awkward. You know, and and I'll just I'll 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 use your daughters as an example before they were married. When when I first started coming here, Bellatora, you know, it probably took about a good, you know, six to nine months before your daughters realized. Oh yeah, Mr. Upham doesn't he doesn't hug. He's not a hugger. And, and there was some awkward moments there, you know, and and um, and I and, and I've had other you know people you know we have obviously a lot of people come to our house and you know some are familiar some aren't and and so there's those times where I know they're like gonna do the cultural hug <laughs> and I just stand there. <laughs> <laughs> you and really I know that they kind of are thinking. But the beauty of it, to your point, is that my daughters respect you so much now, and they recognize and remember he's got a standard we respect, and they thrust that hand out there now because they know. Good morning, Mr. Upham. Right. And, and because we're beyond the awkward now. Yeah. And, and honestly, the awkward's really not so bad because if nothing else, especially if it's somebody you're going to see a lot, it gives a good opportunity to explain. Amen. You know, so that was, in fact, I mean, you can even make yourself look like the, the awkward one there. I'm so sorry if that was awkward. You know, I don't really hug women, so, you know, I don't hug women at all, you know. I, I, yeah, I, I, can, I, I like to keep the gender separate. I just don't give women hugs. So I'll shake your hand, you know. I'll give you a, a very happy to see you handshake. Good to see you, by the way. That, that's, I was going to say that's also an opportunity to kind of explain some of the reasons because oftentimes I feel like 
women take it straight to the negative. Like, oh, what's wrong? Take it your, yeah, it, your view of women is beneath you. Like, you know, and that it really has nothing to do with that at all. Like, I think it was the committed marriage for Beats and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She She addresses a woman that is really opposed to Orthodox Judaism because of what on the outside looks like the ill treatment of women. And she does a fantastic job of explaining it from a woman's perspective, like, no, actually, it's a really cool thing. Like, this time of the month is a time that I am much more spiritual than usual, and I shouldn't have any other distractions, and shouldn't be, you know, touching anyone or my husband or anything like that. And so that that's a great time of introspection and reflection, and I, I'm glad I don't have an opportunity to, to touch other people. And you know, she, she explains it very well in encouraging the, the woman in the story. Like, whoa, you're looking at it all wrong. It's actually really cool, and it's, it's uplifting women to a much higher standard. And as the men, we're, we're kind of setting them apart. Right, and, I mean, and exactly. And I, I think it's, it's not to say a woman is dirty. On the contrary, it's the opposite. A woman is a fine glass vase. I don't want to break that. I don't want to mess with that. I want your relationship with your husband to be perfect. I want my relationship with my wife to be perfect. Or your so, future husband. Or future husband, future wife, if they're unmarried. So the point is, the, the, that's not, I'm not trying to say, and this is something Judaism brings, uh, one article I read, they, they brought up that point. Well, say Jude, women are dirty or they can't be touched. It's like, well, no, actually, women don't touch men either. It goes both ways. It's not, it's not men don't touch women. It's that the genders don't touch. Period. It's not, it's not that there's an issue with one or the other. It's that God made us different and God put in us, thank goodness, a wonderful, glorious sexual drive that is only to be used for one person apiece. And the rest of that affection and warmth is to be devoted to the family. You know, so save up your touch. Pour it out in a, in a good way on, you know, your family. On the close friends, you know, I'm thinking. Imagine, I'm imagining like, if you can only touch, you know, if you're not if you're not giving women hugs anymore, but you give a man a hug, maybe your relationship with guys will be better. Maybe be closer to the to the brothers around you as opposed to building stronger relationships with women, which would be healthy as well. So, I mean, I see there's there's some positives here, and I, I'll get to the last point here in a second. Good. I'll just just address because you brought it up this this time. It's borne out in Leviticus 14 when it talks about the the um, the, uh, the person with uh, Zav, uh, the Lipsora, the Zav, the Zav, the Zav, yeah, Well, and also, but I was thinking specifically of the worst possible walking, oh, leprosy, Metzora, uh, Zav, yeah, yeah, is, is leprosy, and actually, it's not its purpose is is to bring about repentance, but in addition to that. Because they are completely excluded, so oh, their only fellowship is with God, and and that that carries that concept, so that that hopefully, you know, our wives and our daughters recognize that as a unique opportunity for them as a person. We should also be recognized that as unique for us too. Um, I think uh, one thing, I mean. I'm not necessarily as strict, as strict, as strict on 
complete no touch during that stretch with my wife, um, especially if she's had a really rough day. I'll give her a hug. But that being said, we do our best for the most part, maybe not too many exceptions, to at least have that first week totally off. And that's healthy for our marriage, I think. I think it's good. I think it helps create dynamic. I think it's, I think it's good for the relationship. I really do. Um, and she agreed with me. So I think that that kind of thing, um, and that's within marriage. So how much more so for protecting touch is it going to be precious outside of that? So one of the things I just want to mention real quick, touch and memory. Um, I read a number of different things in this topic. You'd be surprised how hard it is to find a categorization list of Shomernagia on the internet. I would have thought it had been easy, but it's not. Um, but one of the different like, just blog posts I read was actually from a woman who's not Shomernagia, but she was talking about it and kind of intrigued with the concept. And she talked about a video she watched about someone who was talking about Shomer Nagia and kind of pushing it. Um, and he talked about the concept, the idea that like, basically everyone you touch, you take with you. There's memory there. there. There's something happened in that interaction. And that's always there. And I'm sure that for many of us, if you, if you reach back into your, your memory banks, you can sometimes with regret remember touch with a person of the opposite gender that you shouldn't have done. Or maybe that you didn't think was a problem at the time and looking back on go, that was a mistake. But I mean, how, and I think, I, th- I could think of times where, you know, I probably crushed some poor girl's heart because I, you know, gave her a playful shove or something and she thought there was something going on and then there wasn't. So, you know, that kind of thing. Um, touch is a powerful tool. And I think, if nothing else, I hope you take that away from here. No matter what your halakha ends up being, no matter what you end up deciding is okay or not okay, or how you want to do it, if you think the Orthodox are crazy, you don't want to go anywhere near that, I hope at the very least you realize that touch is precious. It's very important, and you don't want to just throw it away. Like Proverbs says, don't disperse your waters abroad. You know? Drink from your own well. So, that is the gist and the discussion on that. I've got some references here if you want to look any of my research up. Um as well as the scripture passages that I've gotten for. Um, and that will hopefully be on the internet, so you can pull it up. Uh, but any questions, comments, discussions? Anyone want to play devil's advocate <coughs> and hurl at me some sort of you know, nasty challenge from a feminist? What do you do with haircuts? Haircuts, ooh, that's a good one. I don't even know. I, I, can, I, can, I, can, I can answer that one. Right away. Yeah. Part, I think what uh, you know, Rick and I were, were looking at your, your, your doctor bullet and, and we're, we're both thinking doctor you know professional is, is not the is not the term that we would have used it, it was more of a medical type mm-hmm. thing and I, I put the, the haircut thing in there I think it's best I personally my own halaga and my current position is that given the opportunity I actually put up with a very profane man to cut my hair because I'd rather have the profane man than the touchy-feely, oh, you look at, let me check your, and she's just all over me, and I was like, stop touching me, stop, 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 stop. So, uh, I think if you can get a male barber, get a male barber, instead of stylist, and, uh, and I think any kind of professional or medical perspective, you know, like, uh, you know, Gloria, uh, in our community, is a professional um, uh, massage therapist. That's what she does. And, and I go to her once a month religiously to just keep so I can turn my neck. I 
as often as I possibly can, 99% of the time, I have a chaperone with me in the room. Mm. But I still, I mean, at times where none of my daughters and my, and my wife can't make it, I'm still willing to have her massage my neck because it is a professional or a medical type. And that, uh, my wife, who's also had that done, she said, she said there's nothing relaxing necessarily about this. It's about getting the kinks out and working them out. You know, it's not like the, uh, you know... Uh, I'm in a towel and some, Swedish. you know, Swedish massage therapist is coming in and, you know, stroking my temple. With, with candles and Kenny G. Right, right. That's, that, right. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. Hot rocks massage. By the way, if you have the option of going for a couples massage or something, you might see if you can get a male massage therapist or a masseuse. Just like the barber. If you can, that certainly would be better. So that's a good point. I hadn't thought about the barber concept. Wow, I have to see I call ahead. I know the guy, the guy at the barbershop actually has come here a couple of times. I have to figure out what, day, what days he works or something. Um, but any other comments? Judah? Joshua, I'd like to hear your opinion because brother, I'd like to know this. What if um, a very close friend of yours, a woman, very close friend, well, very, very close, but just like, you know, kind of like a sister almost, what would you do if she greeted you with an awkward sight? I don't do side hugs. I don't do side hugs. Side hugs to me are the same deal. So if, you, if like someone wants to give you a side hug, that's another great opportunity to be awkward again and uh, clarify. I don't do that. Um, you know, a handshake is a really good thing, and it's a really good limit. You know, I've I've tried. <laughs> Trust me, I was in like the no touch zone, and then I kind of got way deep in like the southern church scene and kind of got into the touch thing and hugging everybody and. Uh, it's it's really 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 hard to give a woman any type of hug without that being at some point a little inappropriate. It's just really hard. So for me, it's like if I'm gonna if like I said, I won't embarrass a woman. I won't I won't shun her. I won't recoil backwards. But I'm gonna really try not to let that happen. You know, especially from now on. 